Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. We're doing this one a little bit different. It's a little bit out of order. We're about to interview Mr. Drew Atkinson, which uh, you guys will have heard on Monday, but we haven't done it yet because we're on a time crunch. Because we're going to Georgia tomorrow, baby. Yep. So, uh, Jacob, how you doing? Oh, doing well. Doing well. Yeah, getting all excited. We've got a lot on our plate getting ready to go to Georgia. So, um, getting a few things done, knocking out this uh, this breakdown episode, uh, which, by the way, we had some few messages that said, drop the outro to say breakdown. So, but on this breakdown episode, it's going to be a little bit different just because we've interviewed Drew Atkinson before on the podcast. Um, he's been a very popular guest from ours, uh, or of the show, um, you know, from Arkansas. And one thing that's really interesting about him, which of course y'all have heard on Monday's episode, is kind of like his strategy of hunting early season, killing again, mature bucks on feed trees and more mountainous conditions and terrain habitat. Um, so, you know, it's kind of fascinating when you're able to pick somebody's brain that has that kind of success, because I saw some of y'all's comments out there when we had Rick Cope on the podcast talking about, you know, feed trees are great for, you know, just finding overall deer and hunting overall deer, but it's not great for hunting mature bucks. Uh, so Drew's hopefully going to kind of give you some feedback on maybe a way you can go about being successful hunting uh, for mature bucks on feed trees. But it makes me think also, on, on a side note, some other guys has had uh, had success that we've interviewed hunting feed trees for mature bucks. Yep. Jonathan Moreland. Yep. Uh, Richard Fott. Yep. Uh, Robert Carter, Scott Seals. Yep, Robert Carter, Scott Seals. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a handful of guys that we've interviewed. We haven't interviewed just an absolute ton of feed tree hunters. But there, there is some similarities between them. And it's one of those things that, you know, I think if you interview all those guys, there's no guarantee when it comes to hunting feed trees for mature bucks. Yeah. And I think we all understand that. But there's certain characteristics of where the feed tree is located at, where the, how the sign's based around that tree, and how it, you know, relates to potential proper bedding area for a mature buck to use, as whether or not a mature buck's actually using that food source and during legal hours when you get opportunities to hunt them. Yep. So, uh, you know, there's a bunch of different factors. But I'll say this, you know, with all that taking place, we're kind of using some of the things that we've asked uh, Drew going into our Georgia hunt, where we're kind of hunting Georgia, hunting a little bit more mountainous part of Georgia, uh, an area that we're very excited to hunt. Um, you seem to have uh, great deer quality, but also, um, hopefully, from based off of what you have seen, uh, yep. going out there and pre-scouting a little bit, and hopefully what we'll see when we get out there, mm-hmm. finding some of those free tr- those feed trees in and around very specific isolated bedding locations in these mountains and kind of keying on that and hopefully catch some bucks yep. kind of slipping through. So a little background on Georgia, which people are obviously going to get a hunt breakdown after we hunt Georgia. But to to kind of preface that hunt going into it, I, I want to talk a little bit about what what our plans are going into the hunt because I, I think it'll be interesting for us but also the listeners to see, like, what is our mindset going into this and then when we come out on the other side, like, how did it work? How did we have to pivot? How did we have to adjust? So a little bit of backstory, the, the reason that we actually chose this part of Georgia really goes back to some interviews that we did last year, that you did last year specifically with the Jolly Brothers in North Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, Adam and Heath Jolly, talking about essentially targeting mature bucks early season. Uh, people will remember that Adam Jolly shot just a monstrous 13-point uh, in North Carolina, early season, uh, basically doing a very specific style of hunting that they do. And um, we can link those. We used to check on those uh, yeah. episode numbers. Uh, they're in the 400s, I think. Um, but anyways, so we had those guys on. And basically, in a nutshell, one of their tactics is, that they've had luck with is they, they live in a mountainous area. So you've got the mountains that come up. And at the base of the mountain is where you have your private land. So the mountain is public, base is private a lot of times. And a lot of times that private land might be an ag field, like bean or corn fields. 
Um, or it could just be like a cattle pasture, something that is green, something that the deer can go and feed on because they will go out and graze on that stuff. Not to mention all the field edges where there's going to be forbs and stuff that they can eat on, you know, honeysuckle vines. What's that episode number? Not even the four ones. 378. So this is the episodes that, uh, that yeah, that uh, Andrew was talking about. Yeah. So we had a two-part series with Adam and Heath Jolly Good when, grief. I, when I was we up there. We crank out some episodes. <laughs> so Adam, Adam and Heath Jolly, these are two episodes that are must-listen-to episodes, guys, for you guys. If you haven't heard this episode or these, these this two-part series, uh, title is Early Season Buck Bed Hunting with Adam and Heath Jolly. It's episode 378. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all that. And the part two of that series, which is episode 380, which is Mastering Early Season with Adam and Heath Jolly. Again, both of those are really, really good episodes, and it kind of give you a little more context kind of what we're talking about here and yep. definitely worth going back and listening to. So Adam and Heath in those episodes, they talk a little bit about how essentially those mature bucks are going to bed higher up on the mountain. And at some point in the night, they're going to end up down in those bottoms. You know, there's people that feed corn down there, people throwing out uh feed for their cattle or their horses um not to mention again like i said the fence rows that have all the forbs on them just all kinds of stuff down in those bottoms that the deer are going to be feeding on so you know there's probably guys on that private land down there who are getting bucks on like nice bucks on camera at like one o'clock in the morning well their whole premise is well we're going to catch them coming off that mountain usually in the evening and catch them coming down so we kind of wanted to try that. We had our Georgia. The, Georgia's awesome, man, because you can buy your license, and it's good for 365 days. So we hunted Georgia in early October last year, which means our license is still good right now. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go back and hunt on that same license that we bought last year so we don't have to pay an extra 350 bucks or whatever pretty it was. Pretty sweet gig. That's a pretty sweet deal. But we didn't really want to go hunt like a pine thicket type area. We're going to be hunting pine thickets all year, guys. Yeah. So we wanted to kind of switch it up, that early season time frame. That's what we hunted last year in Georgia yeah. in early season. I did shoot a buck. He was like honestly nothing special, you know, two-and-a-half-year-old. Um, and I like I just wanted to go to a place that was a lot different, you know, some big woods setting uh, where we could really use Adam and Heath's tactics to our advantage because those tactics just like really fascinated me. And I'm like, you know what, I really think we could – like capitalize that mm-hmm. in early season uh it's just it made it so hard to kill like a nice buck in early season in, in pine thicket country so i wanted to get away from that ended up doing some map scouting found this parcel uh i think in like january i guess it was and kind of got interested and in i was like oh man that looks really good and uh and then we tried to draw kansas we we're gonna go to kansas like right now we were supposed to be in kansas right now yep. didn't draw the tag and uh and so we're like, oh, well, we'll just go back to Georgia because we already got that license. But that's kind of the premise of this hunt is it sets up like that. So we're hunting the mountains of North Georgia. Big woods. Big woods settings. There's private land down in the bottoms that the deer, we're assuming the deer are going to be going to. And so we're going to try to catch them coming off the side of the mountain. So I actually went and scouted the place uh, a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. So about five days in advance of the hunt i was able to get over there and scout for like five hours one evening just because i I really did not want to go in blind um, because i just i always feel like if you can just at the very least go get a lay of the land then you're i I basically the way that i look at it i just increased my odds by one day Mm -hmm. so if you got four four days on a hunt if you can add one day you know obviously your odds are gonna be higher well typically on a hunt like this i burn a whole day 
just looking around and trying to figure out where I'm at, what everything looks like, what the habitat's like, what the terrain is like, what the deer are holding to. So by making that drive, and it was a pretty long drive, I drove all the way over there, scouted for four hours, drove all the way back, and that was like my whole day. But the way that I look at it is I just shaved a day off of me bumbling around not knowing what's going on. So now I can go in there and I know exactly, you know, what I'm looking for at least. I might not hunt in the exact area that I scouted, but now I have a lay of the land and I know what I'm walking into. Mm-hmm. So I can I can jump right into it with confidence now. So uh, you haven't been there yet, but we've done some map scouting. Uh, Shane's drove the place one time. So you talked to him, you talked to me. What are your thoughts going into this hunt? Uh, the big things is, and we didn't know this until you went over there, is the lack of water. Uh, a lot of the creeks and everything uh, on this property seem very dry, very little water. Um, so that being a limited resource, any small body of water we can find, I think it's going to be a huge factor for us. Um, also, uh, just regionally in the state where we're going to be at, you've got both black bears and whitetail. Yeah. So you have two different things of sign you're looking for. And the cool thing is, if we time this right, when if we can find some soft mass on this property, uh, like your persimmons and everything, or muscadines, you should find both the deer and the bears in the same spot. And we get tags for either. So I'm like, I'm, I'm good Like for a black bear, a buck, a shoot a doe, it doesn't yep. really matter. Um, oh, yeah. You're, you, you got does on the menu. We, we still haven't talked about your tragedy. You suffered that your your freezer tragedy. Have we not? I thought we've talked about. That. No, we were supposed to. I don't think we mentioned oh, it yet. Anyway, yeah, lost the freezer about filled up five or four four or five fifty gallon bags of meat because a freezer went out and I did not realize it until a few days afterwards and there was nothing left in there that was usable. I mean everything. Yeah, like four deer, uh, still a, almost a a full bear was in there, processed bear, all of my wild game birds from last year, the ones I hadn't eaten. Uh, from Montana and Iowa, a um, bunch of fish. Oh, yeah, all kinds so, of stuff. So what exactly happened with that? Because, like, didn't the power kick off and, like, the door cracked because no. it lost pressure? Like, yeah, what happened? P- potentially, yeah. Uh, power, no, actually, no, that wasn't the case. The power kicked off, and we're totally getting sidetracked from the Georgia trip. Yeah. But pa- so power kicked off. All this to say that Jacob is shooting any legal animal <laughs> that walks by him, most likely. Very good chance. Very, very good chance. So uh, power kicked off. When power came back on, um, the wall outlet that this uh, – it's a stand-up chest freezer, really, is what it is. Stand-up freezer. It's playing the same outlet as another refrigerator-freezer combo. And – Typically, there's not any, there hasn't been any kind of issue with it. Now, I'm not no master electrician, and I know we got some that listen to the podcast. I probably get messages like, you're an idiot for freaking having, <laughs> you know, two freaking, you know, you know, appliances plugged into the same outlet. I, what, what I assume was when the power kicked back on, they both drew so much power at one time, it fried the one socket that this freezer was plugged into, mm-hmm. where the other one with the refrigerator-freezer combo worked fine. It worked fine. It fried the socket, so when I got there, you know, the door was open. I thought someone had left the door open, and then after I dumped everything and had a bag of everything up and throw it away, I mean, literally filled up a trash can full of uh, the wild game, which is unfortunate. Um, I went to try to plug it back into the socket, and I'm like, okay, maybe the refrigerator or the freezer's down. Well, then I unplugged the other uh, refrigerator freezer combo, plugged it into that socket, and that socket wasn't working. I put it back in the other socket, socket was fine. So I'm like, well, the socket's shot. Uh, so I had to run an extension cord and all this other kind of stuff and get the uh, socket replaced. 
But uh, yeah, that that was miserable. That was really really bad. So long story short, yeah. Um, do- you, I mean, dude, you lost you lost deer, bear, sage grouse, sage grouse, sharp tail grouse, <sighs> Hungarian partridge, uh, rough grouse. Uh, I think there were some doves still in there. I didn't mm. realize I had from last year. Crappie, crappie, catfish, all uh. kinds of stuff. I mean, four fifty gallon bags. I filled up. Is that the first time that's ever happened to you? Like uh, losing a freezer like uh, that? I've had. I've had something – I've had where I didn't have the – because, okay, come to find this freezer is still good. So I was able to plug it back up, and it worked fine. It, free, and the freezer is, like, brand new. It's only, yeah. been, it's only like, a year old. Um, I've had in the past where a freezer wasn't closed all the way, and then you go in there, and it's not all ruined, but there's, mm-hmm. like, some stuff that's been thawed out a lot longer than everything else had. <laughs> and, and uh, you know – some of that had to be thrown out, but I've never, I've never quote unquote lost a whole freezer full of wild game. And I've always talked about the podcast. Like that's like my worst nightmare is like losing like a whole freezer full of like wild game. Yep. Um, there it is. And yeah, it happened. So it's, you know, it sucks, but going back to this Georgia trip, water is going to be a limited resource, but talking about soft mass, like soft mass and hard mass. If we, depending on like, like you said, you saw red oak seemed to have produced uh, yep. based off what you saw in the tree. You said you didn't, you found a bunch of white oaks, but the white oaks, you couldn't see any on the trees, but you found some on the ground, right? From like the windstorms and yep. stuff or squirrels knocking them out, whatever. Yep. So there's a good, we have a good, uh, uh, we are confident at least that, you know, hard mass is produced in different areas of this piece of public. So king in on some that, trying to find that hard mass and potentially trying to find the soft mass, we should find both bear and, um, uh, deer in the same spots, which again, I, I'm fair game for either one. It doesn't really matter to mm-hmm. me. Um, so that that's part of it. Also, another thing is you actually put a trail camera in on one of these spots. In uh, and, and this area, it's fairly actually compared. Well, I haven't been there, but you're like it's extremely open woods in a lot of it. Yeah. So like thick cover is kind of like a big limiting factor. And you're talking about a lot of the drainages, like these little ditches running off the sides of the mountains, had like the th- higher stem count stuff. Where like yeah. some of the woods you can see 150 yards probably through or further. Yeah. And then you'd have these little ditches with saplings growing in them, and like you know, it was just slightly more of an obstruction that you couldn't see through. Mm-hmm. And you put a trail camera there on like one of these spots where a bitch was kind of dropping down to like you know access point. And how many guys have you had on camera since you put it out? <laughs> it's only right. been like four days or so, five days. So, so a little backstory. Um, Shane Shane had uh, driven around there. Where Shane Parker's going to be joining us on this hunt. Uh, he's actually driven the place, and he said the same thing. He's like, man, the side slopes are very open in some places. It's big, mature hardwoods, and uh, which I, I really expected just because of how the, the mountain is oriented and how I know that sunlight is going to be reaching the place. Like, I, I kind of expected that. So I get there, and I immediately hit one of the slopes that you were most interested in, and um, I start finding pretty immediately at the base of the mountain, I start finding deer sign down near the fields. Mm-hmm. So down near the fields, pretty much exactly what we're talking about with the deer coming down off the mountain, down onto the fields. You get to that field edge, and there's like a buffer of woods that's a little bit thicker. So like 50 yards in, it, there's going to be a higher stem count because you got that sunlight penetrating from the field edge because there's no trees out there. So there was... A lot of deer sign right there, and then you get up through that, and you start kind of going up the mountain, and then it gets. I told you, I was like, it is so open, we could throw a football underneath the canopy, like we could we could play a pickup game of football in the woods, like it's it's very open. <clears throat> and once you get to those open woods, uh, a lot of that deer sign just kind of dissipates. Like you can tell that 
they get when they're hitting that thick stuff, they're kind of I don't know if they're like congregating in certain spots or what, but that's what it seemed like. Um, and you kind of start going up, and then you'll hit like a a pretty impressive deer trail um, that's going up the side of the mountain. So I, I hit a pretty impressive deer trail. I'm like, is this a hiking trail? And I start following up, and I find where another. There, I'm starting to find scat all over it, tracks. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a deer trail. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and uh, I get up and I find where another equally impressive trail runs into it. I'm like, okay, I'm pulling out Onyx. I'm about to mark this spot, and I look up and there's a ladder stand. And I mean, it's not way up the mountain, but it's far enough where I'm like, okay, this guy put some effort into getting this sucker up here. Uh, so I'm like, all right. So I just turned around and left that spot. Then I uh, just drove around a little bit more, and uh, there's some roads that kind of go up and down the mountain. I drove some of those roads, and one thing I was noticing is when you're driving the road, you can look out, you know, across the side slope and see forever through those woods. But I was noticing that on the edge of where you could see, you know, 150-ish, 200 yards, whatever it was, there would be like a kind of a wall of saplings. And I'm like, okay, that's probably going to be your drainages. I'm looking at it at on onyx and i can tell there is a drainage there so i'm like okay the drainages are thick i go up to the top i look around on top a little bit i notice that at the very top of the mountain it starts getting thicker um especially up at the military crest so when you get to the tip top it's obviously going to get more sunlight you know than if you're off the back side of the mountain so if you're on like the north slope it gets so little sunlight it's going to be really open but the closer you get to the top the more that sunlight can kind of peek down through there so you get up to that top third, and I was finding, like, cane up there, honey locust, all manner of thicket uh, or, uh, of saplings. Mm-hmm. And same thing that I saw at the bottom. You get up into that top third where it's thick, and boom, there's your trails. Like, there's deer trails, very heavy deer trails all over the place. There's droppings all over the place. There's beds all over the place. There's rocks up there. There's beds up against those rocks. So that was also really encouraging. Um, so went and looked around a little bit more, checked some of these little creeks and drainages that are coming down off of the higher stuff, and they are all dry. So, uh, like, I can't find any water on this place, basically. Um, outside of, there's random little ponds around, and I did check one of the ponds, and it was beat up with tracks. It had all kinds of tracks around the edge of it. So I'm like, okay, maybe water's a limiting resource here. And, uh, I ended up... I called you when I was out there, and I kind of told you what I was seeing, and you sent me a screenshot of some pins that you had been dropping, because when I was out there, you got all fired up and jumped on Onyx and started looking around. Mm -hmm. You sent me a screenshot, and I noticed that we had the same exact hill slope, hillside pinned, like in four different spots. We both pinned the exact same. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go run up in there real quick. I got like an hour and a half left. I'm going to go run up in there and just see what it looks like. The way that this slope is oriented, it's more of like a southeast-facing slope. So I'm like, this one should be thicker because obviously southeast-facing, it's going to have more sunlight. And I hit the woods right there, and immediately I get up to the first little little shelf. So you're kind of going up the side of the mountain, and it flattens out. It's not quite a bench. It's like a point that comes out. It's like where the mountain comes and makes like a not a 90-degree turn, but it makes a turn, and there's like a little flat spot right there. Mm-hmm. So I get up on the first one. They're like terraced. There's a couple of them going up. I get on the first one. There's like eight beds in a circle, like obvious doe bedding. You look down, like here's a bed, here's a bed, here's a bed, and they're right on that point, right on the flat spot on the tip of it where they can look off, and there's they're just kind of in a little semicircle, like absolute classic doe bedding. Mm-hmm. 
And right there on that point, there's like 15 white oaks. I go to looking up in the white oaks and my binos, can't see anything, getting aggravated. I'm like, why can why can I not find any white oaks that have produced? And but then I'm looking around and I'm finding acorns on the ground, and I don't know if they're from the white oaks or if they're from the mountain oaks because that's something I need to learn. I need to learn like the difference, you know, where I can definitively tell. I know that there there's an obvious difference, but I haven't just taken the time to like learn what the differences are. So I'm actually going to do that before we go. Well, other than a chestnut oak, those I mean, earlier white oak acorns not even the close to the size of a mountain oak typically. Yeah, I don't. Because tap a freaking mountain oak is like half the size of your thumb. Yeah, they're, they're huge. Monster. They look more like a chestnut water oak or chestnut uh, white oak. Chestnut oak. Yeah. yeah, swamp chestnut. But anyway, so keep going. on this point, uh, there's a lot of saplings, mm-hmm. like a like enough saplings that depending on where you climbed it would actually be kind of hard to hunt because you'd climb above those saplings and you can't see into them. But the saplings is the thick cover here. The saplings is the It's not like briar thickets. It's not like anything that we're used to down here. It's just mm-hmm. higher stem count. We're like, you still probably could see 20, 30 yards through it, maybe, mm-hmm. on the ground. Mm-hmm. But like when you get elevated, you can't really see down into it because of the canopy. Well, but that's t- like the thick cover around there. You were talking about bringing that nuke and blind. Mm-hmm. And I told you that'd be perfect because in some of these sapling thickets, you're probably going to be better off sitting against a blowdown or against a boulder or just some kind of like hard structure on the ground and shooting underneath it than you would be getting up in a tree and trying to shoot down into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, either one's going to work, but I think that might give you a kind of a, it might open some spots for you that would be otherwise really hard to hunt. Mm-hmm. So sapling thicket looks good. I start easing up off of that shelf, heading up towards the next one so that the hill gets steep again before it flattens back out. And I'm, like, right in between the, the first and second shelf, and there's, like, kind of an opening in the saplings. So I'm on the edge of a drain. There's, like, a drain coming down, and I'm kind of walking up on the, the edge of it. I'm not in the drain, but I'm up paralleling it. And the drain is kind of thick with saplings, and they come up. And then there's a little break in the saplings, and then... You keep going to the right, and there's more. So the drains to my left, more saplings to the right. There's a little opening right there right along the edge, and it is just beat up with tracks and droppings and everything. So I was like, huh, this doesn't look like a bad spot. Um, just natural path of least resistance. It's where I walked. It's where obviously all the deer were walking and obviously where all the other hunters were walking. So I keep going up, scout a little bit more. I didn't want to push too high up because the further I went up, the more I was like, okay, these, these deer are bedding like at the top. I think uh, you get up to the top, it gets a lot steeper, a lot nastier. Um, I think it's going to be pretty thick up there. I never went that far because basically I got a little bit more than one third the way up the mountain and I, I was seeing so much deer sign. I'm like, I don't need to go any further. You know, it was, it was Friday before deer season opened. Uh, so deer season opened the next day, but we're not hunting until the week after. Um, and so I was like, I think I've seen enough. I'm just going to back off. I'm going to throw out this camera and, uh, and call it good because now I I know what I'm looking at on the map. So now I can look at the map and I'm going to be able to accurately predict what I'm walking into. Mm -hmm. And that's really the whole reason I went there is so I could kind of look at my map, go there in person, see what, see what I'm looking at on the map and then say, okay, now I can take this and replicate it in other places. So now I can just go tomorrow when we get there tomorrow afternoon i'm just gonna start running through places speed scouting and i'm not gonna i'm not even gonna try to hunt until i find something really good hopefully some whip rubs put the camera out immediately started getting deer on it 
had does coming down and textbook like what Adam and Heath talked about. Here comes the does right at dusk, um, coming down the mountain, mm-hmm. and then right before daylight, coming back up the mountain. Same same deer. And we had a, a little half rack buck come down last night. He did the same thing. He came down a little bit after dark, a little bit before daylight. He was going right back up, same trail. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool to see that play out. So we're like, okay. So that's actually that's actually working. But so, how many guys have you had on camera there? Oh, so opening morning, I had uh, two guys walking in before daylight, and um, then Sunday, I had one guy on camera going up in there. So I've had I've had three hunters on camera. <laughs> I don't know the last time. I mean, I don't get you know, I don't really run a lot of truck here, but like. And this is not like on a hiking trip. No, not at all. No, not at this all. This is just in the woods. Yeah. But it's just like that natural path of least resistance, you know. Yeah, if you're gonna walk at that ridge, that's exactly where you're walking up. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and success call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the true lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable. Like, everybody's jaws were dropping. Like, when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better 
pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from Trulock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give Trulock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give Trulock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with Trulock. So going into this hunt, um, one major factor for us that we're going to hopefully try to find, and you just mentioned it, is whip rubs. Yeah. And a whip rub is at least our terminology. I think people call them different rubs. or They have different terms for them, but when a buck's coming out of velvet, because right now it seems like some of these, a lot of these deer are still in velvet. Other than that, that half rack buck you had on camera, he he was out, I think. Um, but whip rubs is like those first saplings that typically these bucks will rub to tear that velvet off. And you'll walk through the woods, and sometimes you notice this, especially like if you're in the deep south, like say, I mean Georgia's different because you know a lot of Georgia, you know, some places Georgia rut as early as mid October all the way through November uh, until late November. But like if you're in Alabama or even like Mississippi um, or Louisiana is kind of like this as well. At least I would assume so because of the time of the rut. A lot of these whip rubs will happen quite a bit before season comes in. Like you, you, if you went out scouting like in Alabama, like this time of year, like kind of this mid-September time period, and season might not open until you know for us like October 14th this year, you would start finding some of these whip rubs where it's the saplings the size of like your thumb that are just you know some of them look like they're barely touched and some of them it's like they're snapped off like two and a half feet off the ground mm-hmm. and those whip rubs are awesome indicators for finding bucks and especially basher groups if they're still kind of bashed up early on right when they're shedding velvet uh, and it's one of the most exciting things for us when it comes to like finding whip rubs is when you find one where it's about the size of your thumb maybe a little bit smaller but you know it's rubbed you know two half two and a half feet off the ground and then it's snapped off like the top of that sapling that sapling might be four feet tall five feet tall it's snapped off and it's laying there on the ground. And typically that takes a buck with some time length, you know, or can I get tangled up and, and rip it out? Yep. Um, and that's what we're trying to go and find when we're in Georgia as well, along with the food sources and the bedding locations that we kind of have, you know, ideas of where that should, that stuff should be at. Yep. It's trying to correlate the food and the bedding with whip rubs. Cause if you can find the whip rubs, you can guarantee there's a buck there. Who knows? He might be a freaking four pointer. It might be 160 inch deer. You don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's something that we're going to try to pay a lot of attention to when we're up there. And hopefully, you know, with you, me and Shane in the woods, all hunting kind of different areas, hopefully somebody's going to start finding some of those whip rubs mm-hmm. and then we can start keying in on like what area is he in? Yeah. You know, is this an area that he's do- making that at night, you mm-hmm. know, in the middle of the night is it an area kind of close to some bedding cover or some water source or whatever food sources and kind of figure out how we can use that to our advantage while we're out there. But that's what we're kind of looking for when we're there early on is find the whip rubs. Um, and, and then also depending on how often or how soon a buck comes out of velvet, we may actually find some better rubs. There's the little whip rubs that they're just shredding the velvet on, but actually find some better sized rubs in general yep. that some of the other bucks are rubbing. So um, that's something that I'm definitely paying attention to and looking for while we're up there. I'm sure you are and Shane as well and kind of keying uh-huh. in on some of that stuff along, you know, with travel corridors and those transition edges in fairly open woods. And the transition areas or like the travel corridors is like that buffer edge between 
these saplings, like these little thick draws that has these saplings in it in the open woods. Like that's like your travel corridor that a lot of deer seem to be using what you found and what we've seen in the past. So yeah, um, should be really, really exciting. I, I'm, it's going to be an absolute blast in camp because we got Shane Parker there who's been on the podcast a bunch, uh, been on a bunch of other shows as well. Um, and uh, of course, you know, have you and me and then we got two camera guys, we got Seth Johnson coming with us. And then uh, what is, remind me Nate's last name again, Greg. Nate Gregg, yeah, coming out. So I'm super excited to have all these guys in camp. It's going to be super fun, and hopefully y'all will see something happen while we're on this hunt. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully we have some bloody arrows yeah, early on. Hopefully. I'm I'm really excited about it because the whip rubs are going to be a thing. You know, last year yeah, – I can't talk. Last year in Georgia, I felt like we were there a little bit late, and it was kind of hard to capitalize. We found yeah. rubs, and all the rubs were like two, three weeks old. You know, yeah. even, even where I ended up killing that buck – uh, there was rubs. There was a bunch of rubs in there, and you know he he would just happen, I guess, held out down there. Um, but we we really struggled with the buck sign. So I think we're hitting it in stride this year. I think we're hitting it perfect. We're gonna have a really good weather pattern this week. So I'm excited to go out there and just burn some boot leather, basically until we find some rubs, some yeah. like good buck sign to hunt. And uh, I'm also excited about just the setting of the place because it's something new for us, and the openness of the woods actually excites me. Because you can just draw a big red X through all that, and my like, well, I think you can. We'll we'll see when you get there, but uh, but that's what I've been talking to some other guys about, some local guys, and they're like, yeah, you know, they're gonna be concentrated in those sapling thickets. Um, they're gonna be concentrated around that water because water is a limited resource. Mm -hmm. So you take that right there. You take the open woods and the the woods that don't have any easily accessible water. Well, you just narrow down your area significantly. Mm -hmm. And now that we know that heading into it, I'm hopeful that we're, we're just going to hit the ground running. We're going to find them, you know, day one or day two, and then be able to lock in and pick some areas apart and hopefully move in and make something happen. Yep, absolutely. Um, well, real quick, uh, let's get over to – I want to do some Q&As. We've had some awesome other Q&As guys come in. I uh, appreciate everybody who's been submitting Q&As. Of course, you can go submit Q&As. Uh, for these breakdown episodes, which again we try to cover every single uh, every single Thursday episode, uh, going over you know questions that you guys have for us that you want us to cover, or potentially even ask some of our past guests and, and kind of discuss on the podcast. Um, so you can do that by either going to the website thesoutheroutdoorsmen.com, uh, and there's a tab on on the website you can go and submit your Q and A form on there. Or you can click the link down in the show notes or on YouTube right now, on the show notes in the YouTube description, um, and fill that out. So we've had a bunch of new ones come in, and this is like one of my favorite things to do now. In the podcast, yes, the it, it is one of my favorites. Uh, first up is Brandy Falcon. She asks, uh, over the years, what have y'all found was a good time frame before opening weekend to get out of the woods and quit scouting and prepping? Um, I'll say this, this actually entirely depends on how you go about like what is your situation because yep. if you're if you're doing something like what we're getting ready to do where we're going to Georgia and it's kind of a new property and we don't really know where we want to hunt we don't have like a target buck I mean just go in there I wouldn't even worry about it um, if for instance on my club with that 10 point that we got on camera that we talked about last week with that deer I'm not going to go in there you know if I'm trying if I'm going to try to hunt that deer opening week which I may or may not uh, I'm not going to go in there for probably like two weeks just because like I, I want to do all my homework beforehand and then he's in there. I don't really want to go in there like super aggressive because I already know where he's at. You know, I don't have to go find him. Mm -hmm. If you have to go, if you don't know the deer that you're hunting yet and you got to go find him, I would say just go do it, you know, yeah. and I don't think you're going to mess anything up. Yeah, I would say it's very different 
in two different situations. If you're on a smaller acre acreage private land, uh, I say smaller, like less than 500 acres, I, I would not. I would be very cautious about what you're doing. You know that 10 days leading up. Um, yeah. So yeah. you know, if you want to ride side by sides, ATVs, all that kind of stuff, have fun with it. But like, if you have very specific spots you're going to go hunt, and this also comes down to, are you hunting? I'm talking specifically privately in here. Is this in a state that is legal to bait? So are you filling up, you know, feeders? Are you putting corn out, putting rice bran out, all that kind of stuff? Um, if so, the deer are probably more than likely used to that kind of traffic of you coming in and out of a spot. Versus, are you know, say you're in a state on, and we're talking privately in here, where you can't do that if you're in Alabama, like on a Western Belt hunting club where they don't allow baiting. You know, if you don't have that option for like that kind of travel coming in and out, uh, where deer kind of used to hearing the side by sides, used to hearing the four wheelers, used to hearing the trucks, you know, kind of associating you with you know dropping that food off, um, I'd be a little bit more cautious specifically on some of those private lands. If you're on public land, you know, if you have a big deer found that you're like, dude, I've got something I'm going to go after. Hopefully, you've learned enough by now of like where he's at, or if you're trying to kill a doe, some deer where those deer are at based off like what you've been doing so far in the summer and then kind of this early part of September. But also if you don't have anything figured out, keep scouting. Yeah. Like don't go, don't, don't go in the woods just because it's like a couple days before season and you don't want to like mess something up. I just did another podcast. Uh, I was just on another podcast and I talked about this uh, when I was being interviewed and they were asking about, uh, you know, hunting out of state. Like if, if I'm hunting out of state, you know, what's the thought process into the scouting aspect? And it's like, I don't, I'm personally not afraid if I'm going out and like scare a deer or like jump a buck up, like out of a certain spot because I want to go spot check it. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'm going to have a hard time trying to kill that deer, but I can kind of figure out why was that deer there based off cover, uh, food sources, uh, you know, anything else, you know, wind direction, access points. Like, why was that buck specifically in that spot? And then I can look at my map and find something that looks hopefully very similar to that on a different part of that piece of public land. And then go over there and just hunt it. Don't scout. Just walk in there, ease in and hunt it, and see if there's a buck using it exactly the same way as this other spot. You can still do that early season. If you walk in, you find a super hot feed tree. I mean, if you listen to Rick Cope's episode from a couple weeks ago, you know, he talked specifically about this, that, you know, he'll go walk out, you know, up until literally almost opening day of season yep. and try to find the sign. And he might not hunt it the very next day, but he might give it a couple of days and then go back in there. So, I just I wouldn't worry about it from that standpoint, especially if you don't really have a game plan put together. But Andrew's situation, I still don't think you're gonna like mess that deer up by walking in there. No, I don't. Especially either. if you kind of do like what uh, uh, Rusty and Rustin uh, Johnson talk about, kind of like intentionally making more noise while you're out there scouting. Yep. Like don't try to sneak through the woods, but like if you're going to check spot, you know, feed trees, they're talking about like making quite a bit of noise. I think uh, Rusty or Rustin plays music on his phone intentionally to like, if there's a deer in the area, a buck in the area, and they've had success doing this, you bump them from a really long ways away. Yes. And he feels like he's super comfortable because he heard you from a long ways away. He can slip out of there. You don't bump him really hard. He can kind of circle back in there. But again, he never saw you hopefully. And again, you never saw him, but you can bump up while you're checking those feed trees. Yeah. Again, I haven't done that. So, um, you know, I don't have any personal experience with that, but you know, going in and like in your situation, intentionally just, talking like you know talking normal like, you're you're like to you're through. gently you're, rather than like turning him inside out you're you're gently persuading him to go away well, and the reason <laughs> when we when you talk about like 
you know, scaring, like, doing, like say you're spooking him harder. It's like when you sneak in, you get within 40 yards of him laying down, and he's like, oh, crap, there's a person, like, there's <laughs> something here, and yeah. flees. That's slightly different because then he – I don't know how much a deer thinks about this, but it's like you were able to sneak into his bedding spot very closely before he got up and noticed yeah. you were there. Yeah. Versus if you're a little bit louder, he has the chance if he wants to ease up and get away. But what long story short is if you were going to try to fine-tune how you were going to kill that deer, I still don't think it's a bad idea to go in there and actually kind of fine-tune a little bit more of that ridge top he's coming off on Yeah. on potentially how he's using it. I don't think it's going to hurt a whole bunch of anything. Uh, I I don't think it will. And I think that uh, GPS studies that have come out uh, maybe uh, lend some more like credibility to that, Mm -hmm. that you're not, you're not like pushing them off the property at all. Um, And, you know, we've interviewed guys who are just woodsmen who've been hunting for a really long time who have always said that's the case. Like, you know, you're not going to bump that deer like totally off your property unless you just like totally bump him over and over and over again and you make him leave if you just if you walk in two days before se- like like you're talking about with that 10 point if you go if i go walk in two days before season and bump that buck even if i bump him hard it's not like he's going to leave the property most likely he might change his pattern a little bit he might change his bed for a few days and then figure out you know everything's cool and come back and hang out but also I'll say this to me that's a little bit different like you could if you have 10 acres to hunt or 20 acres or 50 acres to hunt the, the margin whole, of error shrinks. A, a core area of a buck, especially if it's not like super diverse habitat where he has everything in one spot, you could, you know, educate a deer to the point like, I'm not going over there. That's, that's true. But like when you're talking like your property's 1,800 acres and this is like, you know, on a side of the property that like, I'm not, you wouldn't be worried about bumping him off because he's got so much right there. It's so diverse. Yeah. There's literally zero reason to leave unless you just keep harassing him in yeah. my opinion I mean every deer is probably a little bit different but yeah like if you're on really small properties i wouldn't i mean i'd be extremely worried about pushing gear off yeah. and, and all the guys that hunt small properties that we've interviewed that's like less than 100 acres that have success they don't hunt the property much yeah they hunt it three or four times a year and when they do they, they kill hunt it big when it's deer. good they yeah. hunt it when it's good perfect example alan surford i'm up in alabama has some real small properties less than 50 acres that he's killed some giant deer on and he might sit those spots once or twice a season but he lets waits or he waits for the time to be perfect you know trail cameras showing what's there and how everything's going and then he's able to slip in and slip out you know pretty much undetected and get a shot opportunities you know when they're presented to him yeah uh, but anyway yeah uh, but yeah it's a really good really good point uh all right this is from jerry wallace he says great show guys i have a question about what gear you guys are running specifically boots and your recommendations I have a pair of Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pros, 1,000 grams of insulation that I wear, but looking for something different. My feet sweat pretty bad, even in normal shoes during the day. What boots would you guys recommend for a great air circulation, but also warmth when I get to the tree stand? I'm looking at a pair of Irish Setters, but cannot decide between the leather 800 grams of insulation or the insulation free. So I think we both have the same opinion about this. In over the last four years, I've ran um, Loa Caminos, right? I can't believe you don't remember. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Loa Caminos, <laughs> uninsulated boot, um, very stiff boot, like kind of like it's a, a lace-up hiking style, lace-up leather, like mountaineering style boot, um, uninsulated. Uh, they get me through the early season. I don't overheat in them, and then in late later in the season, just throw some uh, big wool socks on, and especially when it gets like really cold. Here's the hack. This is what I've learned is when you're walking in, like maybe you have them pretty tight when you're walking in, depending on what kind of terrain you're going over. But when you get to the tree, 
uh, loosen those suckers up. I mean, like, unlace them, you know, really give your foot some room, and then very lightly tie them back. You know, like, to where I do it to the point where if I were to get down out of the tree and try to walk, like, my foot would be coming out of the boot. I showed you that, right? Yeah, you did. And it it works big time. So you got to have that circulation. And, like, if your feet sweat really bad, even in normal shoes during the day. I'm right there with you. That's probably the material of your sock and the shoe that is, like, really causing that. So if it's, like, that polyester or whatever, like, that doesn't breathe well or, I don't know, just, like. No, my my feet could sweat barefoot. It doesn't matter. Well, I mean, do you sweat, like. uh, Like right now. Yeah. Well, I'm not asking. Okay. Right well, now. I, he asked. I had to tell him, guys. <laughs> so, but so, what I'm saying is, if you have like high quality like merino wool socks, which is what I would recommend, and you like loosen up your boots or even bring a different pair of socks, like if it's that bad, then yeah. that's going to help tremendously. I would not get the insulated boots. Yep. I don't like insulated boots. Now, I don't know exactly where you live, but I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, and. Like, there's a couple days a year where it gets pretty cold, and maybe my feet are kind of cold, but it's not enough where that justifies me getting a 1,000 grams of insulation because I, like it's they're going to be so freaking hot all the time, yeah. I can't wear them. No, you just you sweat. So the like, there's a couple reasons why feet get cold. Number one, it's you know excess moisture on your feet, um, and then as your body starts to cool, because you're, you're hiking in, and most guys, and we all grew up like this, wore way too insulated boots with way too thick of socks on too far of a walk, really any kind of walk. You get all worn up on the way there, and after sitting there, your feet are soaking wet and sweat in your sock, and then as you cool down, your feet get freezing, okay? Also, another reason why your feet can get cold is if you have not enough circulation on your feet. If you have your boots, specifically with lace-up boots, tied way too tight, you can cut off parts of circulation on your feet, and that's how your toes can get extremely cold, in addition to what I was already mentioning about your feet getting wet and sweaty. So, like Andrew said, it doesn't, I don't care what brand of boot you wear, okay? It, you know, we have experience both with rubber boots and then also lace-up boots. I have very big calves, everybody. Okay, very big calves. <laughs> there is not a rubber boot I have found, even a wide calf version, that is not snug tight like some skinny jeans on these calves, okay? <laughs> so... Suckers are watertight. So when, when people talk about, like, breathable rubber boots where, like, the air can circulate past your calf coming out, I don't have that opportunity. So no matter what rubber boot I wear, I always have sweaty feet, no matter the conditions, no matter the situation, doesn't matter how cold it is. So rubber boots, I know I'm going to get, you know, sweaty and wet going in. But there's certain hunts when we know there's going to be a lot of water where you have to go through or flooded timber or anything like that, I'm going to wear rubber boots. It just is what it is. I'll just deal with cold feet. And, again – when you have insulated rubber boots or insulated hiking boots, some people don't sweat nearly as much like their feet wise as other people. Again, my feet sweat very easily. Andrew, I don't know about you. you Yeah, mine do too. So, but I've met others that like, for whatever reason, other people, their feet don't sweat much and you can get away with having a insulated boot in 800 milligrams or 800 milligrams, 800 grams of insulation it is extremely high in my opinion. I mean, 400 is like the baseline, but I would never have 400 gram insulated boots down here where we're at. And there's, like Andrew said, there's a couple things you can do to keep your feet warmer while you're out in the field and especially hunting long time or for a long period of time. Number one, like Andrew said, you know, making sure that when you actually get to the stand, again, wearing uninsulated boots, whether, you know, in, like in a rubber boot, like a three and a half uh, uh, millimeter uh, neoprene boot is like the perfect like thickness. Um, anything more than that, it's just too much insulation for me personally. And from my personal experience, you may be different. But in a hiking boot, uninsulated boots, number one. Number two is wearing like a mid-weight sock 
going in. And if you're having to hike a good ways, like if you're going over three quarters of a mile to maybe even a mile back, especially talking to more like the public hand guys here, carry an extra pair of socks with you in your backpack. And when you get there, you can actually swap off your swap out your socks, take your sweaty socks off, let your feet air dry a little bit, put your new socks on, put your boot back in there. Like Andrew said, don't loose, don't tighten the boot super snug around your foot. Keep it a little bit loose, a little you know enough where you can get two fingers down like the side of your ankle going down to your boot. Okay, and that will help tremendously. Another thing I've been doing, especially the last like two years, and I really like this for when it gets really cold. For like 35 bucks, guys, you can go, I think it's like Bass Pro Shop sells them. I'm sure other people sell them. They're, it's an Arctic Shield uh, boot cover, okay? They're like 35 like to 40 bucks. They're not expensive. And they go over your boots. Now, they're not designed to walk in, okay? There's design when you're actually in the stand, in the saddle. Uh, saddle's a little bit more difficult than being in the tree stand, but especially if you're in a tree stand or in the blind, you can put them over your boots. Still do what we talked about, loosen your boots up a little bit, the laces on your boot. And you can slide your boot in there, and if it's really cold, you can stick a hand warmer right on top of your toes, on top of the boot, underneath that uh, that boot cover. And again, they're not very big. They, they they fold up pretty tight. You put them in the bottom of your bag, you really don't notice you have them. And that's like by far the best way I've kept my feet warm. Like when I've gone to Iowa hunting late season, that's what I use, and it works extremely yep. well in cold conditions. So, yeah, less insulation, better quality socks. Switch out your socks and loosen up your boots when you actually get in the stand, and you'll be a lot more happy. Yeah, and I'm also last year I ran. I don't even know what model they are, but they're uh, Solomon uh, hunting boots. And I mean, it, the thing is a glorified tennis shoe. It is very lightweight and uh, very just like not waterproof or anything. Like yep. no leather on it. I mean, it really is like a like a reinforced tennis shoe, mm-hmm. which I like for a lot of reasons. But I even hunted with that in some really cold weather. And while my feet did get a little bit colder than normal, they were still. It was still fine on probably 90% of hunts. I remember one of the 10% hunts. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, you were on one of those. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a little bit miserable. But, yeah. you know, again, it's not worth me spending, you know, 250 bucks or however much on some boots that have that insulation because I'm just, you know, uh, sometimes my feet are going to be cold, and that's well, okay. But Or get the get the boot blankets, which that's what we grew up doing. I, I haven't had any in a long time. But the boot blanket—that's that's probably the route that I'm gonna go. Yeah. So I can still wear my you know glorified tennis shoes mm-hmm. and be super comfortable and, and lightweight. But if I need that extra like protection from the elements, I can just carry it. And it's a lot cheaper. Yeah, and it works extremely extremely well. So. Yep. All right. Uh, last question of the day. This is from Rick Little. He said, "I would like to hear more information on using mock scrapes in the South. Does this work in the South? When and where? Always looking for ideas to avoid having to buy so much corn. Keep up the good work, or keep up the good information. Love the podcast. So it absolutely does work in the South. And I'll say that for mock scrapes, the same thing that I said about like uh, finding hub scrapes. I think it was last week uh, holds true, and that is." The, the deer aren't in a spot because of a scrape. The scrape is in a spot because of the deer. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you just kind of apply that to it, you've, you've got to look at it from a terrain standpoint and kind of how the deer are moving through your property and uh, and apply it that way. So, um, basically, you want to put a mock scrape in a high-traffic area where you've got deer coming from multiple directions. Keep going. No, I, I got Keep going. Go, go ahead. Uh, it's going to be a high-traffic location, but it has to be close around security cover. If you go back and listen to the episode with, uh, I think it was Looking Branch Magic with Greg, uh, Skufka. Greg Skufka, he talks about this, making monsters. Now, he's in Michigan, 
But the same concept, I think, would work very well down here. And this is typically where we well, we've find... We've had people write in and say that it works really well yeah, down here. Well, yeah, for sure. It's like, but Who when you typically it. find like a, a community scraper or, or, or a, like one of these primary hub scrapes, sometimes it's in f kind of open areas, but if it's in it like a more of a, you know, mature timber... That's episode 286, by the way. 286, Licking Branch, Magic with Greg Skufka. It's like, like one of the best mock scrape podcasts out there. Um, anyways... There's going to have to be some kind of thermal advantage for that deer, whether it's a falling thermal and he can come in from below the thermal and kind of lower an elevation up to that uh, scrape in order, the mock scrape in order to check it, or a rising thermal, or again, something around, you know, security cover. So what I'm trying to say is, like, I wouldn't make a big community scrape or a big uh, mock scrape, like, on the edge of a food plot uh, or even on the edge of, like, a super fresh clear cut or anything like that or a power line. But trying to put it back in the timber a little bit closer to some kind of doe bedding where there's a natural travel corridor where you are going to have bucks come through there. And uh, uh, one thing you can look at, and you go out there and find this right now, if you know on your property where there's always rubs every single year, okay, not necessarily open woods, but if there's areas where you know there's always rub lines, there's always, you know, some scrapes in the general area. If you can find one of those areas that would set up really good for you access wise to get in there and hunt it, but you're still in that general vicinity, that would be a fantastic spot to put one of these mock scrapes out. Again, somewhere around that security cover where there's already bucks using the area, so the buck's already there. You're just trying to draw them over to a better ambush point if you potentially wanted to kill a deer on the actual mock scrape or just get really good inventory that gives you an opportunity to be able to maybe hunt that spot later on. Yeah, and also before you go looking like uh, for a spot to make a mock scrape, like depending on how well you've walked your property, I would just go look for a, a natural community scrape first because that's always better. And uh, if you can find that, just put your camera on that or, you know, or hunt over it or whatever you want to do. Uh, and I'm not talking about, like, if you have logging roads on your property and you'll walk and you'll find a scrape and then a scrape and then a scrape. The and little like, ones. Like a scraped line. That's not what you're interested in. What, what you're going to be interested in is your bigger scrape that's got multiple licking branches uh, that's in, again, some kind of strategic location where, you know, they're coming down two different habitat edges and they meet in this one spot and you got a big old fat scrape right there or there's a there's all these drainages leading down into this thermal hub and there's a big scrape right there that's what i mean by the 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 scrape is there because of the deer because the deer are naturally coming through there anyway so i would go look for that first and if you can't find one then i would make a mock scrape and a lot of times where i've had the most luck with mock scrapes which i've i've had a pretty good amount of luck over the years with them as far as getting buck inventory um I always put them in places where when I go to it, I'm finding the sign and everything. And I'm like, there should be a scrape here, but there's not one. And sometimes that's because there's literally just not a licking branch. And you can make your own licking branch. Or you can get a piece of like hemp rope and throw it up into a tree and hang that down. And they'll use that as a licking branch. Just random stuff like that. Uh, and that, that works out really well. So, anyways, um, on to the ratings and reviews. Yep. So, appreciate everybody leaving us Q&As. Again, if you have any questions... Uh, that you want to ask us again you can go submit a Q&A on our website but also Andrew can get over to read some reviews appreciate everybody's been leaving us new reviews on Apple Podcasts you guys are fantastic uh, had some great feedback from Rick Cope's episode episode 510 on the podcast and uh, a lot of the uh, reviews uh, mentioned his episode so again we yep. appreciate that appreciate the support we're trying to work our way to 2,000 now reviews on, yeah. on the Apple Podcasts so. be there before we know it uh, great show five stars this is from uh, Hillbilly slash Redneck Best hunting podcast I've listened to. I've got three weeks off from work this year to hunt in my home state of Arkansas. Very excited to use everything I've listened to this summer and apply it to my hunts and knowledge. The latest 
The latest episode, Hardcore Feed Tree Tactics with Rick Cope, was a fantastic episode. I took a lot from that one. Appreciate it. Glad you uh, liked the Rick Cope episode. I'm very, very excited to see the listener success stories that come out of that one because uh, I think there's going to be a bunch of them. All right, so this is, uh, let's see, from Mike Whitlock, five-star review, and it's this titled 510, episode 510. Episode 510 with Rick Cope was the best episode of any deer hunting podcast that I've ever heard. So much simple knowledge. This will change the way I hunt. Thank you so much. That's what awesome. I'm talking about. Right. Real quick, yep. I'll say, knock this out, and then we got to wrap this up, man, because we got we got to rock and roll. Oh, yeah, we're good. We're good. All right. This is from uh, Bama Buck 10, the best hunting podcast out there. Five stars. I have been listening uh, since early 2020. Y'all have the best guests and are real killers. Uh, I look forward to every episode, or I look forward to every podcast so I can learn more. I've been hunting since I was five, and I'm still learning. I killed a decent eight last year after listening to the episode about hunting fresh sun. I don't get to hunt as much as I want to, but your podcast gives me the tools to make the most of what time I do get. Thank y'all for what you do, and keep the killers coming. Well, thank you for listening, man, and uh, that's why I would do it. So so you can maximize that precious time you got out in the woods, yep. my man. One of the last things I want to leave y'all with before we wrap up, remember, guys, if you have success using anything that you've learned from any of these podcast episodes, from any of the guests, anything that we've discussed, or again, anything the guests have discussed, let us know. There is a tab that's down the show notes below on all the podcast episodes that's titled Listener Success Story, or you can go over to our website, thesoutheroutdoorsman.com, and fill out a listener success form because we want to hear about your story. We want to read about it, and we want to be able to publish it. We try to publish all those stories, guys, as they come in. we still got quite a few from last year that we're going through, but we've already got a couple come in from this season, a couple guys in Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, everything else. So we'd love to see your story. So, again, you can submit that down the show notes and at the link for a listener success story and uh, hopefully you guys can go and implement some of the stuff you've learned from the podcast and, and have your best year yet. So, yep. Absolutely. Super, super excited about it. Uh, Andrew, anything else? No. I got nothing else. Awesome, guys. Appreciate y'all watching. Appreciate y'all listening and we'll catch y'all back for the next episode of the Southern Outdoors Podcast. Y'all stay safe. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool. I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right. Giving you a heads up here. So go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.